Welcome to Boldly Bald Women, surviving and thriving in a hair-obsessed world. If you are grappling with the emotional and social impacts of hair loss, whatever the cause, and frustrated with hot, itchy wigs, this is the place for you. Your host, Pam Petros, international best-selling author of Boldly Bald Women, guides women on a weekly journey from wanting to hide to becoming courageously bold. Pam herself has alopecia universalis, which has caused permanent loss of all body hair. Listen as she shares inspirational stories and interviews with experts offering insight into recovering self-confidence and reclaiming joy. Now, here's your host, Pam Petros. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Deanne Graham. And we're going to be discussing how her soon-to-be-released book, Head On, came into being. Ten years ago, Deanne was thrown into the turbulent waters of alopecia universalis. Living with alopecia areata from the age of seven should have prepared her for this, she says, but she rapidly lost who she knew herself to be. What began as daily journaling soon turned into pages and pages of her story and the realization that there must be others who also had stories to tell. After decades of not knowing a single person with alopecia, she finally met others who understood. By connecting with all these incredible writers and sharing the message of, we are more than just our hair, she discovered that she loves who she is and how she looks without hair. Coordinating head-on stories of alopecia has been a rewarding experience, and it has become everything she would have wanted to see and read when she was first diagnosed. Welcome, Deanne. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Pam. Tell us about your hair loss, how it happened, and how you coped in the early days. Okay. Um, Well, I was first diagnosed when I was seven years old, and... Like many stories, I think your hairdresser finds it, your mother finds it, and in this case, my my mother found it after I had taken a bath, and um, we just we just found this small little patch, and we I went to bed and didn't think anything about it, and the next thing I I knew we were at a doctor and they were diagnosing it. Um, so that that's basically I think how how so many people's story goes. It, it's that first moment you have a patch, and then a doctor says this is what it is, or or for many, they they don't know what it is, right? And so mm. there's a lot of different yeah. processes to go through. And uh, my so my hair basically fell out over a summer, and I had moved from another school. And in fall, I started school at a new school and a new home, and that wasn't particularly stressful to me or anything like that. And I didn't even know the, the meaning of stress. I was <laughs> a seven-year-old kid who had it good, so... <laughs> If I got my bike, that's good enough. That's right, exactly. <laughs> so, so stress, I, I didn't feel was a factor, and, and I didn't even understand that word at the at the time. So, um, yeah, and then I basically went for about seven years, and then my hair spontaneously grew back when I was about fourteen and hung around for a little while. Now, so. did you wear wigs during that time, or I did, did you just cover your hair? I did. <laughs> I started to wear a wig when I was in third grade, and. Uh, that was right after I moved and after I had the hair loss. And uh, it really, w- after talking to my mother after the first uh, conference I went to, the first NAF conference I went to, I said, 
why did I start wearing wigs? I can't really remember. And she said, uh, she, you know, it must have been on the back of their, their minds for some because that was what society would have wanted. And, and I was you. going to school in a hat at the time. Mm-hmm. And and my teacher, the first day of school, we were late to school, and the teacher took me into the room by myself. My mother was still in the office doing paperwork, and she said, well, take your hat and your sweater and put it over here. And I looked at her, is what my mother said, and, and I must have said, oh, can I really? And and when I did, she immediately asked me to put my hat back on, and, and she must have went and talked to my mom right after that. So so that's kind of how it went down <laughs> at age seven. Ouch. So, yeah. Ouch. And I, and I didn't know this. were so excited. Oh, I could yeah. take my hat off. Exactly. And exactly. No such luck. Mm-hmm. And, and you probably would have been fine with it. And with a little explanation, the kids would have been fine with it. I don't know. At the time, and this is the 70s, I have no idea what was going to be acceptable or not. I think back now, and I, had, I would hope that that would have been fine, and, and maybe it would have, but we're living in such a different day and age now, and I have children mm-hmm. of my own, and I know what – how how far I can go as a parent in the classroom too, and um, mm-hmm. and and encourage my children to to push themselves and things like that. But at, at that time, I just don't know. I mm-hmm. really don't. It would have been great to know that 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 was available to me, though. At what point did you decide to take off your wig and become a boldly bald woman? Well, I I wore wigs until my hair grew back when I was 14, and then of course I didn't need it anymore. So, and I I pretty much thought, okay, I'm done with this alopecia thing, and I don't have to think about it again. And and when my hair started falling out again, pretty much almost 10 years ago, actually it was more than that, probably 12 years ago when it started falling out, and then when I had my daughter, it grew back within a year. And then when I had my son a few years later, it fell out completely. And, and that was the time frame when I said, I need to do something about this. I, I had put a wig on for a wedding. I was a matron of honor in a wedding. And, and I thought this was going to be my life for forever after mm. starting to wear it again. And I wasn't happy with that. I wore it for maybe three years. And then um, I attended my first NAF conference in that truly changed everything for me. I, I was looking around and I was meeting people who were living their lives bald or at least very comfortable at conference without anything on their head. And and that made me rethink things and, and how my future was going to be, um, whether I was going to wear a wig or a scarf. I, I had been wearing scarves to, um, you know, work out and, and things like that. And I really felt like I was fooling the world, <laughs> thinking that they must, you know, think I had hair mm-hmm. underneath my, my scarf. So um, I did transition, like, the next year. I went a whole year, wore my wig, and then the next conference I went to, I said, I'm not even going to take it this time. And so I wore a scarf, and I had the time of my life. I I was really excited about showing my, my bald head out in public in, in a in a different place where from where I lived, and that was really comfortable for me. And then I came home and I talked to my husband, and I also talked to my young daughter, who was nine at the time, and I knew I, just from experience how cruel children can be in school. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I, I wanted to just let her know what I was doing. I wasn't asking permission, but at the same time, I wanted to allow her to tell me how she felt about it. And she pretty mm-hmm. much said, okay. And that was it. So you got to love kids. <laughs> yes. And, and my son was quite young, and he didn't, you know, 
wasn't going to consult him or talk with him <laughs> about it because he was a toddler at the time. So, yeah. They already think they're in charge of the world. You know, you exactly. don't want to give them any, any no more, more ground. <laughs> no more power. <laughs> did this create any stress for your family and friends? It did not. I, I've only had very loving uh, family and friends, and I, I can, I'm so thankful for that. They, they've always encouraged me to do whatever I want to do. Um, they've never pushed me to, to wear a wig or wear a hat or, or go bald. There, there's a lot of pressure from other people to just be, be free and do whatever you want, but I feel the options are important for me, and, mm-hmm. and I like those. Did you expect that from your family and friends? I, I think you always worry in the back of your, your mind about friends who you haven't had for a while, and um, then they're not really friends, right? Because <laughs> you have to worry mm-hmm. about their mm-hmm. response to how you look. And and I, I just never – I think it always is there that realistically I can't say it was all just me going, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this, and it's great. And, and truthfully, I, I feel most comfortable in a scarf, but within the last two months I've been promoting the book, to, and I'm thinking, you know, I really need to – to be more proactive in showing myself bald. And mm-hmm. um, that has been really empowering and, and wonderful. I've, I've found it to be very natural. I feel good. And and those around me who I am with, whether it be my children, my husband, who's completely fine with how I look and wonder, he, he loves the way I look um, and could care less whether or not I do that in public or not. He He's supportive, whatever I choose to do, and I, I find that people don't even worry about me going out. They're not embarrassed, and so that makes me yeah. feel more comfortable as well. So, and that I think that surge of freedom that you get when you say, "I'm done with the wig, mm-hmm. and this is what I look like, and I'm comfortable with this," and there is such a sense of freedom that comes with that. And I think there's something about that that's contagious. Mm-hmm. And when you get your self-confidence back and you feel comfortable with how you look and you're enjoying the freedom of that look, right? I think that other people pick up on that. Mm-hmm. And it's not as difficult for them because you're comfortable. Exactly. I, I agree with you. Because if you were slinking around saying, oh, yeah, I got my wig off because people wanted me to have my wig off, but I really don't like this and I'm not comfortable and look right. at that person looking at me, then people look at you. Right. Because they they sense that negative energy, mm-hmm. so you know I can hear the positivity in your voice when you talk about it. Yeah. I can almost see a smile <laughs> on your face. You know? <laughs> it's been a good experience, and I know that that n- as I present myself and and am more authentic in in the world, that it it helps me grow and it helps my children grow and mm-hmm. and the people around me. I'm I'm not here to only help my children grow and and to be to be these great human beings and accepting of all people, I, I'm here to kind of spread awareness of, of alopecia and just say, you know what, being different is is just fine, and, and this is what it looks like. What about at your job? Was there any pushback about being bald at work? There wasn't because I'm self-employed, so I, I don't <laughs> really, that doesn't, doesn't really apply to me. And, and But it was a struggle. I, I've owned several different businesses with my husband, and the first one was very hands-on. I was... Um, working on RVs and kind of in a man's world and mm-hmm. it was it was kind of tough to prove myself even as a woman and then to have a woman losing their hair and trying to figure out how I identified with that 
in, in the workplace was, was kind of interesting. So I, I did wear a hat at the time. I was very insecure about my hair loss, and it, just, it also looked really awful. Did you ever get a sense from people coming into your business facility that when you lost your hair, they thought you lost your intelligence as well? Not my intelligence, no. I think, uh, but when the natural instinct is for people to think that you're sick, and so right. um, so that's another thing, and so they don't feel you are physically capable, um, and, and that, that's kind of, my intelligence I don't think was ever questioned. It was because I really had to get educated. I went into businesses that I knew nothing about, and, and I had to learn very quickly um, what to do, so... So that was, it was kind of a learning curve. My entire career has been like that. And a vertical learning <laughs> curve. Yeah. yeah. Where's exactly. the curve? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, but I never mm. felt, I never felt that I was questioned with my intelligence, more about my physical ability. And every day I have people that come in and ask if I, if I am having treatment, if I'm having this. Mm. And I, I use it as, as a time to educate and and right now I've got my book sitting close to me all the time, and I can say, well, actually, I've written a book about it. Do you want to look at this while you're standing here paying me for something? <laughs> Wonderful. So having the book and, and putting this together has been really a process that has helped me at the same time as my efforts in trying to help others. What gave you the idea to undertake such a huge project as Head On, and when did it come within the progression of your own involvement? It, it really did come when I, right before I attended that first conference, and I really had never met anyone else with alopecia ever in my life, and I thought I have to find people, and when I started to research, I, I found math, and I said, well, I must go. I, I want to write about this. I didn't know what it would look like. I just said, I, I want to write about this, and my story was, was not going to be enough. I knew that, and so at that conference, I was seeing people who were making a difference in the alopecia community, in their personal communities, and that was very inspiring to me. And I thought, well, if I can kind of harness all that and I can interview these people and I can talk to these people and see what it is that makes them tick and makes them want to move forward with this, I, I can help many, many others with, with their mm -hmm. stories as well. So, mm -hmm. And that's when it started. So it's been about a 10-year process. How did you get women to participate, and how long did it take to get all those 500 stories that you that you ended up with? Well, I attended conference after conference, and I realized everyone says, write what you know, and I knew about my own experience, so I could tell, I could say, okay, this is how a woman may feel, this is how I feel, and that I could personally relate to, but as this as time went by, I realized I needed to, this is not just about women, this is about men, this is about children, and, and they grow into to people who can share a message of love and inspiration with others from their experiences, and I thought it could really appeal to everyone, whether they have alopecia or not, and so mm -hmm. from start to finish, I would say it's been almost two years, a year and a half of really working intensely um, you know, putting on a website, getting a Facebook page, all the, the social media that's, that's involved. Is that where you sent out your invitations? I, I did, but media? I also had already met many people, and mm -hmm. I so I talked to them and asked if they would. And I have great friends, wonderful, wonderful group of, of people who I met at my first conference who are lifelong friends now, and mm -hmm. and they 
oh yeah, I'll write you a story. And, and they just <laughs> couldn't, they didn't feel confident enough to um, write. It wasn't about their story not being a, a great story because they definitely are. And it was more about the, the process of writing. So, so that was a bit of a struggle and kind of disappointing to me. I've got great, great friends with great stories and, and they aren't all in here. There's some great ones in here from my friend Caitlin, who you know, Mm -hmm. uh, she's got a fantastic story in here. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I mean, it's and and really these these women, these people who I first met ten years ago, nine years ago, are are the ones who made made it happen. I would say I just mm -hmm. had more of a vision every time I saw them, every time I spent time with them, and I I could really see exactly what I wanted the book to look like. I remember seeing a picture of you sitting on the floor surrounded by papers and photos <laughs> and chuckling as I remember doing the same thing for Boldly Bald Women. Well, what about for you? What was it for you that stood out in this whole process that, for me, I was really sucked into the whole process for a long time. My husband would say, uh, honey, do you think maybe you can do a load of laundry today? <laughs> <laughs> I'd look at him and say, what's the matter with you? You can't do laundry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> you know, because you're so involved in what you're doing. Right. But was there some part of the process that you either enjoyed more than another part, or was there some part that was that was more difficult for you in compiling this book? Well, I, I actually didn't realize how much editing I was going to do, and that I, I felt comfortable with it, and I'm also apparently a, a power person who who doesn't want to relinquish any of it to other people. <laughs> so I had only very close. I had two very close friends read it through once. We were on a very tight timeline. I wanted to get it out by NAF, and and so I pretty much had to work backwards. I said, okay, this is the date. This is how long the printer needs. This is when I need this for the the second draft for editing, and 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 so working backwards was was the most interesting process, but I found myself editing everything over and over again, and of course, now mm. I'm going through it, I'm like, oh man, I, I didn't get that. It will never be perfect. I you know. can edit and edit and edit <laughs> and say, and you put it down and you say, okay, this is it, this is it, just right. perfect. Right. And you wake up in the morning and after your second cup of coffee, you say, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was the really hard part for me, though, is because it's their story, so I felt compelled to make it perfect, every single story. So I spent a lot of time on every individual story making it just perfect. I, I'm just happy. I'm so happy with the process of it. I didn't realize the amount of work that I would have to do, but if, mm -hmm. if I did, maybe I never would have done it, right? I mean, well, of course you never would have. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm saying. Of course you never would have. He would have said, what? <laughs> it, it's like my husband said to me after we got Boldly Bald Women published. He said, okay, now, you can write another book if you want to, but first you have to sign the divorce papers. <laughs> <laughs> it's not only hard on us, it's hard on the people that we're living with and exactly. and, and, and sharing our space with. Definitely. But it certainly is a worthwhile goal and it's a yeah. beautiful book. What is your goal for Head On? By that, I mean, what is the message that you most want readers to take away from the book? It's it's really about spreading awareness and raising, um, the, just looking at people and saying, okay, yes, I see a bald woman, man, child walking towards me, and they maybe they have alopecia. I really want society and local community, and I really think it starts locally, 
you start local within your own small community and then you just get bigger and bigger and and I think that's what it's all about. You, you raise this awareness and you say this is alopecia and people go, oh, okay, I think I know someone with that. And, and you'll read amongst the stories in the book that that's what people say. As soon as they start sharing, um, that opens up so many possibilities, right, to educate and, and raise awareness. And it's not, it's not for everybody, certainly. Some, I mean, I, up until this point, I've been a wallflower. I, I've wanted to blend be, because I have always wanted to blend in. As, as a child, I wanted to not be different. And I think that that's the same for any child in, in the world. They don't want to be different. And, and so for me, ha doing this has brought me kind of out of my shell and encouraged me to be someone who can educate. So that's been kind Wonderful. of an interesting process too. <laughs> What's up next for you? Do you have to sign divorce papers for your husband before you can commit to a volume two? No, we can, you know, we, we each tolerate each other's um, things in life. And, 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 and for, for me, he, he knew this is what I needed to do, and he's been extremely supportive, just like your, your man. And so yeah. um, he's, he's completely supportive of me, and, and I can't say this in truth that he wasn't like, okay, yeah, this is. Let's actually sit down and eat a meal together, and yes. let's, let's. It's pretty intense the last few months, and I do definitely want to say my my older sister. She's the one that did the entire formatting and layout of my book, and it turned out beautiful. So my sister Kristen and I were able to share in this experience. What a lovely bond that created. You know, yes. just different from the regular sibling bond. Yes. So um, are you are you gonna have a volume two? That is the plan right now. I've already uh, a lot of people have already contacted me saying that they will, and and also folks that I contacted early on in the in the volume one process, I, I contacted them and and people are busy. Our, uh, right now, time mm -hmm. is such an important commodity right now, and and I think once they actually saw, oh look at it actually turned out she did mm -hmm. do this. And, and so the, the willingness to share is is pretty good now. So, yeah, and I, sure. I have an idea of where I want to go with the next one. So it, it's just kind of percolating in the back of my brain here and because it's mm -hmm. like a little piece of me, and but it's so big in, in the scheme of, mm -hmm. of how society can, can possibly look at baldness and how, how we view it. I'm really happy that, that people without alopecia are purchasing it. We have a, an interesting kind of exotic thing we're writing about. So people mm -hmm. are interested. They, they may know someone with alopecia, but they don't want to talk to them about it. And then if they actually could look at the book and read, they would understand and be able to have a conversation with someone without wondering why they're bald. And so right. we're kind of in a unique situation as writers to, to help people with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I walked yeah, into a local bookstore, tiny, tiny bookstore when I was camping last weekend, and I was not prepared to, to sell or anything, and I had a bakery bag in my hand. I said, would you like to sign my book? And I didn't even have it with me, and so I told her the title, and she said, well, what is alopecia? And I told her, and with, by the time I was done speaking, she said, absolutely, bring it by. So it I, I think that people do want to support local. They also want to encourage readers to expand their their knowledge so mm -hmm. yeah it's mm -hmm. all good do you have any tips for our listeners who are going through a life-changing event such as yours absolutely i i know for me it was reaching out and opening myself up to the possibilities of communicating about it i had 
not talked about it and always hidden, um, whether it be by a wig or just not talking about it. I decided, okay, I will start talking about this. And when I when I actually opened my mouth and started talking to someone about it, it became more freeing and I could think about viewing myself in the world as someone who was authentic. And, th- and that for me, and this does not apply to anyone not wearing a wig anymore because it was uncomfortable and I always worried about it. And I think that everybody can find freedom in, in different ways. They can wear a scarf, they can wear a wig, or they can go without. So I think that, like I said before, I think the possibilities and options are the most important thing in this whole mm-hmm. story and talking to others, not feeling like you're alone. And we are living in the world of social media right now that allows us to reach people from everywhere. It's important to, to find a support community that works and and can support you and what you're going through. Social media is enabling us to reach the people who need us, like Gilda Club. There are women who are going for cancer treatments, but they're clustered in an area where there is a cancer treatment center. Mm-hmm. But people with alopecia are spread far and wide. Mm-hmm. And although there's over 5 million of us, men, women, and children in the United States alone, we're a hidden niche. Right. And so uh, the importance of places like Her Hair and Alopecia World and NAF and mm-hmm. all of these online groups, Alopecia Ariata, that are all there as resources for us, are bringing together an international group of people. And the support and the friendship is incredible. It's in, it's just incredible. It really is. And there's one thing that several people have written about as soon as they um, opened themselves up to, to being who they were, whether that meant not wearing a wig or not, or, or whatever it was, opening up and sharing their story with people. They, I've read time and time again stories that have said it gives others the freedom to share their own personal struggles with, with them in return. And I, I've found that to be true in my own life as well. People are willing to talk to you about um, the things that are going on in their life and wanting to share. So I think that it, it's a huge freedom that way, too. How can our listeners contact you, Deanne, to learn more about you and your book, Head On? They can like my Facebook page, which is Head On Stories of Alopecia, and also my website is www.headonpublishing.com, and there's a contact page on there as well. They can contact me directly and buy my books if you're interested. So. Okay, I will put that link in the show notes so listeners can find you easily. Thank you. I want to thank you so much for being with me today, Deanne. You you. are truly an inspiring woman, and I am sure our listeners have taken away new insights and perspectives from our talk today. Is there anything else you want to share or one, one message that you want to put out there, something that we may not have covered yet? I think um, overall, just be who you are and, and that and discovering who you are through the process. I think that, that alopecia gives us the opportunity to discover so many things about ourselves and then it makes us better in all areas of our lives. Um, I think that that's, that's the big part. It, it gives us the opportunity before a lot of others. And I know mothers say, you know, I look at my child and they're having to handle these these huge life lessons earlier than, than ever before, right? I mean, they're not 18 when they have to learn this, this sense of maturity of, of um, how, how society reacts to them. They learn very young, and, 
And I think that as as we do that, they discover so many things about themselves. And I know that I have, even just within the last year of putting this book together, I've discovered so many more um, great things about myself that I, I didn't realize existed. So I, I think that alopecia gives us that ability to do that, to discover those things. Thanks, Ann. To our listeners today, thank you so much for joining us. And remember, it's not the bald, it's the bold. Thank you for listening to Boldly Bald Women, surviving and thriving in a hair-obsessed world. If you've enjoyed this program, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. To find out more about Boldly Bald Women and receive a free gift from Pam, please visit www.boldlybaldwomen.com.